Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Sort of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy in recovery. I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. Every time I go to say that, I feel like I'm getting ready to say I'm an addict named Jason. And I <laughs> don't know if we're avoiding saying that or I just don't or I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I, well, and the whole language of addict was all a stigma thing. That's why they got person in recovery is way more empowering than saying I am an addict. An addict makes it seem like you know, you're you're still a less than person, I guess, I was the idea. So in recovery messaging, that's why we use person in recovery. Yeah, in the social work profession, all of our stuff is based around person-centered language. And so people are a person first. They're not their diagnosis, right? They're not a depressed person. They're a person with depression mm-hmm. or a person who deals with depression. It's just a minor facet of what their life is, not their entire you know, personality. So they would say a person with substance use disorder or something like that, a person with addiction, not an addict, but it's just become so comfortable to say (laughs) I'm an addict and I'm not really bothered by that. But I imagine I wouldn't really go into the grocery store and say that. Yeah. Right. You know, my wife wouldn't introduce me to like her high school classmates and I'd be like, Hey, I'm an addict named Jason. (laughs) That'd be kind of fucking weird. Yeah. And it's like that at at my job. I mean, most people know that I don't drink or or do any kind of drugs. They know I've had a history with that stuff because I'll joke about it and make jokes about it and been in jail and stuff like that. But I'd say, I wouldn't say, yeah, I'm an addict and I go to these 12 step meetings. Like that seems a little weird. (laughs) That's funny. So we had some. Uh, we had a great conversation last week with Matt. We talked about, uh, you know, the All Paths Recovery meeting that goes on near us, and how that's probably a hugely beneficial thing, and and something that maybe way more areas need to look at doing. It's so crazy to me sometimes to think about how Cecil County, where we are based seems like the least likely place in the world to have progressive thinking, you know, recovery models. And yet here we are with your wife spearheading like, you know, voices of hope and, and the county and, and others included, right? Not just your wife. There's been a lot of yeah. people into this over the years. And I'm like, I don't even see this kind of forward shit when I was in Baltimore so much. And maybe because it's bigger and bigger places are doing it. Like maybe the United Way is handling it. And so it's not such a grassroots movement and so they can't do such wild endeavors they have to kind of stay within the boundaries of what's allowed because they're larger corporations um i think it's a couple things knowing kind of what i know and some of the background of things that my wife does uh 
one of the big things was our overdose rate here in Cecil County was so high because we're right on this 95 corridor. What we saw, you know, five or so years ago, maybe a little longer, um, was that in the state of Maryland, Cecil County ranked second behind Baltimore for overdose deaths. You know, and you would think Cecil County, you know, how do we rank so high in overdose deaths? And uh, the the scourge of the opioid epidemic seemed to really hit this community pretty bad. And so that created a lot of momentum, I guess, for people to want to do something. Um, there are organizations in Baltimore that are doing this kind of work. But like I say, I think because that area is, is so big... Uh, there's so many people doing so many different things. It's easy to kind of get lost in the shuffle. Mm. Um, and we don't have large organizations in this area stepping up to handle any of those services. We don't have, yeah. you know, a helping up mission or, a, you know, a, a Red Cross services or, or any other organizations other than our local health department, um, yeah. which, to be honest, has been quite inadequate, um, you know, addressing the issue. And right. so, you know, I think some of these actions are happening in other areas, but what tends to happen in other areas like Baltimore is that bigger fish come in, gobble up a bigger, bigger chunk of the money, and then roll that into all these other things that they're doing, and, and it takes those resources away from the grassroots movements. Kind of like how uh, up here they had given a large, you know, bit of funding to a more grassroots organization to do a 24-hour crisis center and then the larger you know governmental health department said no nah, we're going to take that funding and then provided next to zero 24-hour services that <laughs> their 24-hour services to wake up in the middle of the night answer the phone and tell you they'll get to you on tuesday like yeah so not much different, honestly, than the, the corporations gobbling up the funding. Uh, yeah, very similar. And and that's a problem like that, that people are frustrated with, I think, in government in general. Um, we see this, like the bureaucracy, it, it churns so slowly. And if you look historically, if you read some historians about like our bureaucratic system, like it's supposed to move slow. Mm. It's supposed to be... Uh, arduous and, and debated out and, and these are supposed to be well thought ideas. We are not supposed to be like our government is not designed to be like quickly responsive to crises. Those are things that communities are supposed to address. Those are things that, you know, people outside of the government are supposed to be handling. But because we have such a big bureaucracy, they control all the money. Mm. They want to have their hand in the cookie jar and take all the funding. And, and what you see is the money that comes down from the federal government goes to the state government, who then gives it to the county government. And the idea should be that money should come from the federal government or the state government out into community organizations. I mean, we hear repeatedly over and over again how you'll see small churches or small religious organizations or small, you know, other community-based organizations that do way better at problems of homelessness, uh, addiction treatment, all that stuff, but yet they won't get any funding from a state or federal government because they'll say, well, we want complete oversight of your program. Um, you can't do these things that you're doing. You got to do it this way that we outline. And then when you look at what they want you to do, it's like, well, no wonder your fucking way doesn't work. Look how stupid it is. You got half of our services wrapped up in 
recording and and polls and and things that really aren't getting that money to the people back when we had that epidemic here we saw the governor came to maryland it was hogan came to maryland we're going to throw money at the problem we're going to create this governor's task force and you know cecil county oh yeah we're going to come up with a uh i forget what they called it the mayor's task force or whatever they came up with another round table discussion type bullshit that they meet once a quarter to discuss what they're all going to do about the problem none of them are people that are actively involved in recovery none of them are people that are actively connected to community they're all politicians and and bigwigs in the county they get together and i hate to say it this way but like circle jerk each other about what they're doing about the drug problem mm. spend all this money and they have nothing to show for it. Yeah, I found it incredibly interesting. I'm, I met my wife uh, just north of Baltimore in that area. But I'm from Baltimore. I've been there my whole life. She's from the, the Cecil County area. And so I would talk about the drug problem in Baltimore and, and how it related to my life and all that. And she would say, yeah, Cecil County's got a lot of drug issues too. And I'm like, fucking how, right? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I've never even heard of this county, first off. Where the fuck are you? And why do you have a drug problem? Like... You know, you're out in the boonies. And I just couldn't understand because I thought cities were where drug problems were. And she explained it that out in a county such as Cecil County, one, there's nothing else to fucking do, right? There's not like all the entertainment things that a city might have. But then beyond that, Cecil County is basically the halfway point between Baltimore and Philadelphia. And so when people were meeting for drug deals, they met here and there was lots of drugs in the county because of that. It was all centered around this, like, centralized location. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting concept that I've never thought of. Yeah, and, and being a person that used in this area, like, it's really easy to drive, you know, 40 minutes up to Philly and, you know, you have a nice place to get heroin. You drive up right up 95, hop off and exit, go two blocks, and then you're back on 95 and down the road. And the whole trip, you know, hour and a half hour if you're really flying you know like right. and you're you know getting cheap drugs you know yeah Simply. i would say maryland for being such a small state does have that very uh unfortunate location to be you know dc baltimore philly all close by to almost you know the largest portion of where the population is in our state and just so much of that uh, drug problem exists in those type of areas that, that are localized. I'm sure it exists everywhere. I'm sure it exists out in Cumberland where there isn't any, you know, large town nearby. But it just, I guess maybe just because sheer population size, it's a little different. And there are some other issues. It's not just the convenience. I can't forget this. My wife would get upset if I didn't bring up some of this. So there are a lot of social issues here, too, that lead to high addiction rates. We have high domestic violence. I mean, we're top we're top five of the state, you know, as far as, like, counties and stuff in, like, domestic abuse, divorce rates, um, you know, child neglect and abandonment, like, all these things, poverty. You know, there's, like, a bunch of those social characteristics that we lead in as well, um, but it's basically trauma. You know, there is a lot of trauma that goes on in this little rural community that leads to addiction. So you have the trauma piece coupled with the convenience of cheap drugs, you know, that just make the problem that much worse. I'm going to invent an entirely new theory right now. There's all these different theories of trauma, and I'm not trying to say any of them are wrong. They're probably all very accurate. 
But I think the trauma in Cecil County is very much a, we're in 2020, but people are still living in 1950. <laughs> I think that is the fucking yeah. trauma, right? We're still, we're trying to make America great again in a way that really is, wasn't that great to begin with, but it's just what we're familiar with. And so we're trying to go back to that childhood version of what we grew up with and how we think that works better. And I, I think when you're living out of, out of time, out of touch with the time that the times are in, right? Like I, I think that creates trauma when you're raising your children in, in a 1950s style, when it's 70 fucking years later, like, we're supposed to grow and change. We're not supposed to stay the same, right? <laughs> right. And so, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just out of my fucking mind, but that sounds like a good way to cause trauma, is to raise people way differently than we've learned is not really good for them anymore. Um, but we are way the fuck off yeah. topic. This is not anywhere <laughs> we're supposed to be. Uh, the point uh, we were getting at there, uh, not really the point we were getting at, but the point we were supposed to get at was that... I think a lot of people do have questions about, you know, MATs or medical cannabis and how that looks for people in recovery or if you can be in recovery and do those things. And I think in a lot of minds, the jury is out or it's already convicted you that you're fucking getting high. You're not really in recovery. And I hope that last week's episode, I know it definitely continued to open my mind to at least have some ideas of maybe I don't have all the answers and I need to look a little more at this. Um, and I, I've heard that sentiment from some other people, too, that, like, it was just nice to combat the information that they thought they were sold on in their head, right? They they now have something else to say, oh, maybe I don't know what I'm, you know, maybe I'm not so sure what I thought I was sure of. And so that's what I'm really hoping uh, came out of last week, is that people can just take a moment to sit back and think that maybe it's a little different out there and that these things could be useful and, and people can still pursue you know, being better in a different way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we had some messages this week just to cover before we get to our main topic, which is going to be <laughs> something about relationships to some form or extent. Uh, and, and we, again, thank Caroline for that idea. We had kind of had an idea of how to do it, but she had messaged us a few weeks back and had some really good points about some ways to come at that. I don't think we're going to cover all of them today, especially probably not the ones she really hoped we would cover. Um, but we're going to cover a couple of aspects she made that, that I think we can cover knowledgeably, I hope. Um, but before we get to that, so Allie messaged us on our Facebook uh, page and asked us, who does our theme song? Because she couldn't find it anywhere. And <laughs> the reason I bring it up is because I keep meaning to mention every day to give them a plug since they allow us to use their song. That is the fucking sweet sounds of Jimmy's Chicken Shack. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, a local-ish band from the 90s that kind of got some national exposure with that song. With that song, yeah. And, and maybe a couple others. Um, but yeah, Jimmy's Chicken Shack, that song particularly is called High, which seems very appropriate for our uh, our podcast here. But they have, uh, to me, I, I love a lot of their music. I still listen to them. Probably stuck in the 90s, but that's a little of my own shit. Um, but yeah, so that's who they are. If anybody's curious, I will... I hope somebody asks me again in like three weeks so I can continue to remember to keep saying that because they're, they're great. Um, another thing we had gotten this week, uh, our buddy Sobriety Matt on Twitter had some remarks about our episode and he, it were really kind remarks. Um, he said he had listened, he was learning about drug rehabilitation and it really challenged his preconceived ideas about total abstinence. Um, 
and what is considered total abstinence. And he said he was still, you know, thinking through his thoughts about it. Interesting, like he's, uh, a lot of people we interact with too are not so much, wouldn't consider themselves addicts. They would talk more about being sober or alcoholics. And so I, I honestly, when we did the episode about like MATs and stuff, I had never even really considered what it would be like for an alcoholic to listen to that. I don't know why. I think most of our topics are universal. And so I just didn't even consider that that one might not be. Yeah. I guess it wasn't so much. Or they, they have an abuse, right? Is that the same? That's a little uh, different, though. Yeah, are they still using that? I know I it was years back. Yeah. I thought that Vivitrol shot was basically like the same thing. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, he, he did want to point out, though, and I wanted to bring up, that he was very pleased that you brought up some of the controversy around antidepressant medication in recovery programs. Um, and that hit close to home for him. And he's seen a lot of, you know, times when people said things about that uh, in recovery meetings about how people can't be on it and told him to get off of it. And I think we've mentioned before, we've kind of, it seems like we're slightly moving away from that direction and we need to emphasize that as much as possible. Like if you're dealing with a medical professional of any sort that has you on mental health medication, fuck what anybody in a 12 step meeting says (laughs) to you about it. Honestly, I will vouch for that. Fuck them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, or just because one idiot or a couple of idiots have an opinion, don't let that sway, you know, yeah. sway and, your decision. And when we say idiots, like, I still love you, I will hug you, I, I hope you come around to understanding that that's not our job to, you know, tell people about their mental health medication. Uh, and, and, I, and I don't mean fuck you like I hate you, you should leave the meeting. I just mean, you know, I don't believe in that information that you're giving them and don't kill somebody. And I say it in the context that I was once very much one of those idiots and held a lot of those beliefs myself. I don't know that I actively ever said that to anyone's face, but it was very much an opinion that I had and I'm sure said to other people, maybe people that I sponsored, you know. So at a time, and I was an idiot. So (laughs) I say that putting myself in that category, not understanding the... The harm, not being a person that had a lot of knowledge or experience with mental illness. Um, I didn't grow up with it in my family. I didn't see it right in front of me. So, you know, here I was having an opinion about something I knew little to nothing about. Um, And so once I did a little research, did a little, educated myself a little bit, I realized how dangerous it is to have those types of opinions. Yeah, I I can't uh, exclude myself since you already included yourself. I have had those kind of opinions myself. I don't know if I've ever been like hardcore 1000% sure of it, but I've definitely had some opinions in my head about like, I don't know if that's really clean or things like that. I, again, I don't know if I said it to anybody either. I really hope not. I very well could have because I've said a whole lot of crazy <laughs> shit to people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely, if that's where you're at today, don't feel shamed about whatever mental health medication that you know the professionals decide you need to take. I have taken an antidepressant. Uh, I don't talk about it that much, but I I don't mind talking about it. It fucking changed my goddamn life. Like, I can't even get... If if my life was a one, it made it a nine and a half. It was incredible, the difference it made in my life. And I have found that just for today, I don't need it. But if I would ever decide that I needed it again, I, I know it works. And I know it was very successful and has given me the ability to be such a better father, such a better human, that fuck fuck all that stuff. I will definitely uh, take it again and and suggest people listen to the professionals. Um, To move on, 
our Instagram buddy Slats United, which uh, I think has something to do with S L A A, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still trying to figure out the the name though. If like like Slats is a play on words to be like sluts. But it's slats. I don't know if it is. I love it. I love it for sure. But and I'm only mentioning them because they they said they love my memes, and I'm, <laughs> I'm very happy that someone acknowledged because I put a lot of time and effort into coming up with like seven memes for the week, and uh, I just I'm glad somebody acknowledged it. I well, I got to do a better too. job at looking at. It. I see a few of them. I I've, I've been avoiding Facebook a lot lately, uh, partially because I'm sick of it. You know, the political and all the. You know, whatever drives me nuts, and then partially because I've just been really busy at work. And so, funny enough, before this episode, I pulled up the web page and started going through, and like I was cracking up because I miss a lot of those. So right. I got to do a better job at looking at them. So, well, we didn't have the Facebook thing, and so I've been putting these on Instagram since I don't know November, December, whenever I created that. Um, and so now I post, I do my new ones for the week and they go on Instagram and then I'll put a new one on the Facebook in the morning and then an older one like a couple hours mm. later. So I've been doing two a day, but I don't know. It's, somebody stole mine the other day, this guy Ryan, and he's a buddy of mine, <laughs> but he doesn't know like meme etiquette. Like when you steal somebody's meme, you're supposed to give them the credit and the comment or just share it from their page. Mm. And he just, just stole that shit. And yeah. I'm like, damn. That's not nice. <laughs> oh, well. Um, but, yeah, so thank you so much, uh, Slats United, for, for acknowledging my memes. There's a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes, and then I read them and realize i got a typo and got to recreate <laughs> them, and then I fucking read them and don't like them and want to say it a different way, and then I read them after I've made them and think, ah, oh, that's kind of harsh to people who are on MATs. I probably shouldn't say that shit. <laughs> it's a, a lot of shit that goes into that. So I appreciate the acknowledgement. Um, another message we got was from Stephanie. And this was an interesting message. It's actually, uh, it wasn't from this past week. I'm not sure. Or maybe it was. Maybe it was from this past week. But uh, she talked about being on an antidepressant. Uh Oh, yeah, okay. So she, her point was about it being okay. And it was refreshing to hear that the guy, uh, talking about Matt, was basically saying, come one, come all. Let's just try to be the best version of ourselves and support one another on that journey. I think that what one person can take while in recovery is based on each person's individual level of unmanageability. And she gave an example that if she was prescribed like benzodiazepines for her anxiety and took it according to doctor's orders, but then the person next to her in the meeting might have a history of Xanax abuse. And so maybe they shouldn't have benzodiazepines for their anxiety. And I thought this was an interesting concept, right? And and I liked it because she went on to say the more she thinks about it, it's not our place to judge or decide what recovery looks like for anyone. But... How much more complex would it make it if, not that there was rules to the recovery program, right? But just if she's saying, hey, each person's look different. And so we could walk into an NA meeting or, or a meeting in general and the guy next to me, you know, or the guy across from me, maybe Billy can smoke weed, right? Maybe he needs medical cannabis for his anxiety and it seriously helps him and doesn't affect his desire to want to go, you know, shoot heroin. Maybe that works for you. But every time I've smoked weed in my life, I get paranoid and decide I want to smoke crack. Right? right? Like, how would it be more difficult in that meeting for me to stay clean? 
because I just feel like, and, and I love the point she makes that, yeah, we all do have our own limitations and abilities and, and I respect that. But if I went to a meeting where I'm a guy who is struggling to stay clean and I sit next to Billy, who's clean and in recovery, according to him. Right. And I'm not knocking that he's not. But I see him doing something that I wish I was able to do. And so I'm constantly going to be like, well, it's kind of like when I saw people using when I was getting clean in NA. I was like, well, goddamn, how come they can go out and use and I can't? Look, their life fucking sucked. (laughs) They were living under a fucking bridge. They were on a corner, you know, begging for money. And yet I was still jealous. I was jealous that they could, you know, quote unquote, could use and I couldn't. And the fact was, they weren't really being successful with it. I could have went out and stood in the corner and, and slept under the bridge. Like, I was choosing not to because it wasn't working for me. But there was still that bit of jealousy. And so, just from her statement, it really made me wonder, maybe that's why N.A. doesn't have that uh, that mentality of everybody can kind of do what works for them. Because it's going to be triggering for the people around them. Not to say that it's a bad concept for a meeting idea, but maybe that's why it doesn't work for N.A. Yeah, and I i mean, I was thinking exactly that. Like that, her point is why it's important that we focus, I think, on abstinence-based recovery in Narcotics Anonymous, you know, like in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. Like they have a specific, you know, sort of, I'm going to call it criteria or whatever for, for how they outline their program and what those expectations are. And it's that uh, common common denominator of alcohol and Alcoholics Anonymous or drugs and Narcotics Anonymous, you know, the abstinence of those things that helps identification, you know, that helps a new person come in, feel safe, feel like they belong, you know, and identify with that process. Because if they can identify the problem and identify uh, the issues, then they can also hopefully identify with the solution. If you go somewhere where it's a little more vague and a little more, you know, somebody's doing one thing and somebody's doing the other, um, that could get a little harder to feel out, you know. Well, and, and and I think it comes down to, like, what's what's doing more benefit or what's doing more harm? And I don't have the answer. I don't know this, right? But I know NA, like, catches some flack over, hey, you have this opinion of total abstinence and you kind of exclude quite a bit of people that you know, are trying to do recovery. Um, and that's kind of shitty of you. And I get that, right? But would attempting to include those people actually do more damage by more people being in a meeting, sitting next to someone who, you know, is okay on Suboxone, but the person ends up getting jealous and doing Suboxone and they really, that's not good for their life. Like, would it do more damage than good? Right. I'm not describing it well. I'm even trying to like picture what I'm saying (laughs) in my head. I'm like, that just sounds fucking confusing, but I I don't know. Right. I don't have that answer. And I think it's a really tough place, but I think what Matt's doing kind of is probably the best thing we got for right now. Like, let's just start another fucking program or, or fellowship or meeting place for people to, to, reach out on that journey when they're doing it a different way right and let's hopefully in in na accept that and and like nurture it and love it and and work with it and push people to that program that maybe don't quite fit in with the program we're working let's not like rage against it like oh them fuckers over there aren't really doing anything like let's support it and and nurture almost God, I almost said something I definitely do not want to say. (laughs) Glad I fucking didn't. I'll tell you about it later. (laughs) Because it's funny. Yeah, and 
I mean, that's the whole thing. And I think that's a general life skill, whether you're a person that's in a 12-step program or not in a 12-step program or just a, a counselor or social worker or, or a person that deals with people, you know, as a family member of someone in addiction. Like, it's so important that we just encourage people to keep moving forward, to keep taking positive steps, to not cast judgments you know, on them or, or put them down because you don't necessarily agree with what path they're on. Um, but just to try to encourage them to take the steps forward, you know what I mean? Like, and, and maybe again, someone, you know, in a position of, you know, looking at it from a harm reduction perspective, like maybe someone who's out shooting on the streets is going to do better as they start, uh, getting into like a maintenance program and and if you're a family member or loved one or somebody who's involved with that person you know just try to hold off a little bit on criticizing and judging those people and encourage them to keep moving forward you know that maybe that's a stepping stone for them in the right direction and within a year or two they'll get to abstinence you know but let's encourage them to keep moving forward yeah i, I man if nothing else, the world today could use much more encouragement and understanding and, and love than it could whatever the fuck it is we're doing. Because whatever we're doing is ugly <laughs> and not working. Right. Um, I don't know, though. So we're at a good spot. We're going to talk about relationships. Um, we're close enough to the point we might as well just stop and do our voices at and then we'll come back and start the relationships topic. So be right back. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. All right, we're back. Um, so we're going to get into relationships. I did want to mention, and we haven't mentioned this yet, we are back in studio. Yeah, in person. Yeah, I guess studio is not really the right word. We're just <laughs> in a room talking. Um, one of the cool things we learned, or at least that I learned about this for me, doing it remotely, was that I do like the video option, that we record the video and just throw that on uh, YouTube. And so... We're going to try to stick with that. It's a little awkward setup. I feel like my shorts are too short right now. Uh, we're being recorded from the side. It's strange. I'm usually like, you know, neck up or, yeah. or whatever, shoulders up. And this is odd to feel like my whole body's exposed. I feel like I need to wear more clothes or get and dialed I'm, up. I'm trying to not look at the camera because I feel like that'll make me feel weird if I start looking at it. So I'm trying to not look. I'm just trying to focus over here. So it'll probably get the side of my face <laughs> the whole time. I just get this feeling like at some point we need to get more comfortable with it. And then we'll say something that breaks like that fourth wall they talk about. Yeah. And we'll both just look at the camera and stare at it for a second. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, we are back in person. It's a little a little strange for me. I know you, uh, this is like your life. You go to work and shit. And yeah, I just sit in my house home. and don't move. So this <laughs> yeah. is very weird. Uh, makes it harder to explain to my daughters why they can't go see their friends. Because, well, you can. A little different. I find myself to be more responsible than you are, but... Yeah. It's tricky. Um, anyway, glad to be back in person. It's nice to see you a little bit. Yeah, uh, hopefully definitely. I don't catch coronavirus because of it. But <laughs> uh, So we want to get into relationships. So Caroline made a shit ton of great points in her message about, you know, talking about relationships. We had kind of had the concept on our list of topic ideas, which we have like 
364 of, but I think when Caroline messaged about it, she laid it out a little better and broke it down into a lot of different ways, right? She talked about being married to uh, another person that is also in recovery. She talked about the, uh, being married to somebody who's not so much in recovery. She talked about, you know, what it's like later on, like a lot of our relationship advice is for the person in their first year, right? The, the relationship advice you hate, uh, don't get into a relationship for a year. Um, but we don't talk about, hey, what's it like when you have five, eight, 10, 15 years clean, sober, and you, you know, are trying to date, like, what does that look like for that individual? And where do you meet people? And how do you not meet one of us that just doesn't know they're one of us yet? And so a lot of great ideas in there. I don't think we'll cover them all today. We, we talked the other day about how to cover all those responsibly and, and include some other input in that because you and I have not had the experience of having five, eight, 10 or 12 years and trying to date. Like that's not an experience we necessarily have. Um, so what we can talk about, and what I think we're going to focus on mostly today, is you are married to another person in recovery, and I am married to a person not in recovery. And so I think we do have at least a little bit to say about those types of relationships and maybe how they differ, how they're the same, how, you know, I think a lot of the argument is, do I date someone in recovery or not in recovery, which is better for me? And so I kind of feel like, we can address that, maybe? Yeah. Well, and I want to throw out one disclaimer. So, I don't disagree with the information that we give to a lot of newcomers that they should stay out of relationships and that they should... It's all great information. It just doesn't seem practical, mm. and it doesn't seem like what happens most of the time. You know as well as I do. The person that doesn't get in a relationship in the first year of recovery, that's like an anomaly. Like that, yeah, that, I mean, that person exists. They're out there and there's occasionally someone who really sticks to it. And again, it's great. If, if you can do that, great. Stay out of a relationship, work on yourself, focus on your step work, focus on, you know, self-improvement. You'll find the qualities of your relationships will probably go up. You'll find there are extreme benefits to that. It just doesn't seem realistic. Like, at least, it doesn't seem like what's really happening in recovery that I see in this area. (laughs) So if it really exists, maybe it's not a unicorn. Maybe it's like a narwhal. Yeah, right. It really is out there. It's just not very common. Right. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's tricky information. I don't think there's any, you know, one size fits all. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I do think relationships can lead to painful areas, which is the normal reason we justify saying that relationships can be painful and we don't want to send you back out before you're ready to deal with emotions. Um, My personal take on it is that people tend to get in relationships for interesting reasons. And I think a lot of it is like sex and love addiction. Personally, I think we get rid of the drug and relationships fucking feel good. Um, They you know, can make us feel as euphoric or take us to a time of ease and comfort just the same way our, our drug of choice could, right? Just the same way that alcohol made us feel at ease, so can having a pretty lady or a handsome fella on your arm or, you know, at your side watching a movie with you every night or whatever it is. And so I caution that we don't really know ourselves early on before we do a whole lot of the steps and when we do these relationships, sometimes we're just substituting 
Sometimes we're substituting. Does that mean that I think it's a terrible idea? Some people aren't going to stay clean unless they substitute for a time until they can get to a time when they don't need to substitute. Some people would argue that we're always in some form of substitution, right? Like we're always putting something there. It might just be something a little healthier. Right. Uh, so I don't have those kind of answers, Billy. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I've heard my wife say to people like, look, as long as you don't use, don't worry about the rest of it. It'll get better. Just don't use. That starts there and whatever. Keep, you know, if you got to go out and use some guy's attention to help you get through that's okay for now you know just just, yeah it's pretty harsh but you know it's it's best that you don't use that's you know the number one thing and then you keep moving forward hopefully you work on yourself enough to change and get better and and whatever but yeah like say i think uh i think that attraction to other people does keep some people around here does keep people connected um i know like in my case i can say my relationship at times has probably kept me more connected to recovery than I otherwise would have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were points in my life where, you know, if I didn't have a spouse that was like my wife is, is, uh, I don't want you want to call it like very enthusiastic about the program. She's always been very connected and, and has never really strayed very far away. Like has always had regular meeting attendance, always had a sponsor, um, you know, always, always been heavily connected. There are times that I haven't been, and that relationship has sort of held me accountable. Like, I feel like, man, she's going to start giving me shit. Like, if I just stop going to my home group every week, she's definitely going to not, you know, she's not going to co-sign that kind of shit. Right. Um, she will ask me things about, you know, my relationship with my sponsor, what I'm doing with my home group, how things are going with steps, you know. So that is something that... uh is a part of our relationship that has kept me connected at times when I probably would have drifted away. So I want to take that information and award like 10 bonus points to uh, being in a relationship with somebody in recovery because that's not something, I guess it is something you could get from somebody outside of recovery. But uh, looking at like the people I surround myself with, probably not something, even if they said it, they wouldn't have the information to back it up to forcefully say it. Right, like they could say, "Hey, do, you haven't gone to your meeting for a couple weeks," but then I'm going to justify or live in denial, or and that's where it stops. Like right. they're not going to continue to pursue it. So I say, "Oh shit!" Well, being with somebody in recovery, that's helpful. Like you just showed a helpful way. That I think that beats being with somebody not in recovery. But I'm wondering if that could also work the other way, <clears throat> where your partner gets disinterested in recovery. And it becomes easier for you both to just be disinterested together. Yeah, I'm sure it could. I mean, I'm I'm definitely sure that could happen. I've seen it happen um, with friends and stuff. And then I have friends that, you know, they both started out in recovery. And now one of them doesn't really go anymore. And the other one still does. So That's fucking you know, weird. Yeah, man. that's weird. That seems even more weird than both of you doing the same thing. <laughs> I almost want to interview those couples right now, just because that's fucking weird and I don't understand it. Yeah. So, interestingly, uh, just a, a little quick background about me. We're, we're going to fucking get ourselves in trouble in this. I already oh, know, yeah. talking about our wives. Um, that's like a death sentence for me. Uh, anyway, I was in recovery. I got really close to 18 months. I was like eight days shy of 18 months. Um, and during that time, I dated a woman in recovery. 
And I said, this is the only way to go. You got to date somebody in recovery. You guys go do the same things. You can hit meetings together. You take vacations, which are conventions. Like, this is this is the only way to be. I can't date some normal person. That's fucking weird, right? Um, and then what happened was, you know, she ended up taking... She had to get pain meds for something or another. She was using them not correctly, and I didn't even know it. One day she approached me about getting high together, like randomly out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And it was easier for me to say yes to that because I didn't like, I didn't want to relapse alone, but I also didn't want to be without her. Right. And so it was like in two Mm -hmm. different ways, it made it very easy for her and I to go get drugs together. Um, and that led to misery and pain, obviously during a relapse, it was awful. And so when I came back to the program, uh, to try this again, I said, I'm definitely not fucking dating anybody in recovery anymore. And so I had a little taste, like it was a pretty, I know it was only 18 months, but it was a pretty serious relationship. We had actually dated before that while we were both using too. Um, so this was like a continuation of that, but I, I had a little taste of kind of both sides of that. And I don't know. I can't say that I found one to be any better or worse than the other personally. Yeah, well, I mean, some of the things, like, even though we're addicts, like, relationships of any kind are difficult anyway, like, romantic relationships. Right. No matter where you met your spouse or, you know, I mean, the divorce rate's, what, 50% in this country, and and just staying in a long-term uh, committed relationship is difficult. And then I think the fact that we're addicts on top of that adds a whole nother layer of difficulty because, one, we tend to be very self-centered, self-serving people. It's not, at least in my nature, to put the needs of my partner first. Um, It's usually, you know, my first instinct on most things is getting what I want, getting my needs met, having someone that encourages and supports and builds me up, you know, and I'm not... It's it's much harder for me to look at what I'm giving in a relationship rather than what I'm getting. Mm. Um, on top of the fact that, you know, drugs are always there telling me there's a better way. You know, hey, come over here and join the dark side and get high. And life's so much more fun and exciting and better when you're getting high. You know? right. so, so, you know, all those things, you know, make relationships difficult. Um, when I, I can say my only... Uh, relationship experience with non-addicts or not people in recovery were when I was using. Um, I never got in a heavy relationship with anyone that used like I used. I always got involved with girls that didn't use like I used. And those relationships never lasted a whole long time because I wasn't very good at commitment or anything. It was There were relationships of convenience. Right. Um, but I didn't trust anybody that used or did the things that I did because I was out cheating and lying and getting high and running around and doing whatever I wanted all the time and I had no real I don't say I don't have emotional investment in those relationships I thought that I loved a couple of those people but I was incapable of really being good in relationships at all because they weren't built on anything they weren't built on trust and honesty and commitment it was they were almost like you said they were just convenience and how it made me feel about myself and some self self-assurance um so you bring up an interesting point and this is uh why i say that a lot of us and and i think this is an egotistical thing for me to say honestly but i just assume every other body else feels and acts like i do and responds to life like i do 
relationships for me um, felt fucking great. You know, I called it love for a long time, and I don't know that I believe that anymore, but that whole new relationship, novelty, butterflies in my stomach, feel like I can't live without this person, want to, you know, meet them on Monday, and for whatever reason, don't want to leave them until Friday, like, I can't stand to be away from them for more than three minutes, it's like, oh my god, they're pissing in the bathroom, I gotta, like, stand right outside the door, and just wish they were out here with me, like, I don't know if everybody even feels that shit, but that's how I felt. It was so powerful and overwhelming and euphoric in the early parts of relationships that I thought that was love. I immediately dropped all male friends that I ever hung out with because I had to spend all my time with this person. And that just became my life. And it's not sustainable, right? It's not built on trust and commitment and and, and any of these other things or the spiritual principle of love as I understand it today, which is showing up and being kind and, and compassionate and loving actions towards another person, even when I don't feel like it, right? That's what I look at as love today. So it wasn't built on any of that. It was built on this fucking feels great and is definitely filling up the, the void, right? This is like making me feel super validated. I'm feeling mm-hmm. awesome. I'm floating on air. And I, this is kind of why I want to get somebody from... S-L-A-A, like I, I'm hoping we, we're exploring these other programs. I really want to get a, an S-L-A-A, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous individual on here to explore this because I think a lot of our members that maybe have never thought about this before might identify and might want to seek out some help in that area because it's truly a lot of freedom on the other side of that. But the whole, so Sex and Love Addicts is very similar to the codependent idea. Right, the idea that we like can't live without these other people and put up with behaviors that aren't or treatment that isn't okay just to, you know, continue this kind of relationship. Even if it's just got negative consequences. I see you over there like dying to, to butt in so I'll stop for a second. That's Go. okay. Yeah, because there's two things I wanted to say and I didn't want to lose either of them. One, there's a ton of literature out there you can go read on this new relationship thing. It's called the infatuation phase mm. of a relationship. It's got a name. There's scientific studies on exactly what you're talking about. Um, and what you described is what they describe is from a scientific standpoint. Yes, we literally lose our minds. We begin to ignore like warning signs of this person we only see like the best possible things you know and and we interpret all that data you know as like oh this is the one this is the person for me we we love each other so much um and then i last that i read and it's been a couple years they talk about it in uh there's a book called the five love languages that talks Mm -hmm. about it some but you can go on and look it up other places too it's just called the infatuation phase uh that usually lasts about two years which shockingly enough i think if you go back and look at the average length of marriages and stuff it's like two years it was right about the same time and the the correlation that they were trying to make is like look you know we're all in this joyful bliss of the infatuation phase in these relationships we run out and get married and then about two years in, we start to see all their real human characteristics or start to notice and identify these flaws. And then it's like, what the fuck did I do? And it is almost like a drug. Like we are mm-hmm. caught up in the euphoria of that new relationship that we are living in denial <laughs> of what's really going on. Right. Um, and then unfortunately, most of us get married. So not myself, but, you know, most people get married so quickly that 
you know, you're you've done made a decision why you're still in the infatuation phase. Um, the other thing I was going to say about that is the relationship isn't going to bring out characteristics you don't already have. So if you're not a person who's trustful and honest and committed and loyal and, you know, like if you don't have those qualities coming into that relationship, you're not just going to grow them out of that relationship. More than likely what's going to happen is your your real nature is going to come out and your dishonesty and, and you know, your lack of commitment and your you know, self-centeredness, all those things are going to come out. So sort of circle back to the advice we give people early in recovery. That's why it's hard to be good at relationships early in recovery, because we don't, most of us don't come in with those skills. You know, we don't come in with the skills of honesty and commitment and trust and loyalty and all that. You know, so if we come in and get right into a relationship, that relationship isn't going to bolster those things in us. What bolsters those things in me is step work and recovery and growing, you know, learning about myself and growing and learning about my character defects and learning what things, you know, I'm insecure about. And then once I've developed those skills, I can bring them into a relationship. Yeah, I, I, everything you said, definitely. And you talk about the infatuation stage. I think because it, for an addict like me, for a guy who struggles with obsession and compulsion and instant gratification and self-centeredness and wanting to feel good now, that infatuation stage, A, much more shortened. Fuck that two years. It's like six <laughs> months tops. Three months usually, but six months tops. Uh, and then what my life is based around is when this hit stops working, go get another hit, right? When this uh, when this alcohol stops working, go get another you know, bottle of something. And so... My solution is never like, hey, well, maybe now it's time to work on myself and address my problems now that this relationship isn't making me have an escape anymore. It's, fuck this bitch. I'm going to go find another one, right? Like, it's just, I'll move on to the next one to feel good again. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe that's how you want to live the rest of your life. Maybe you want a new girl every year and a half, and you want to redo all your finances and redo where your, your living situation and redo... Or you don't even move them in or get tied into finances. Maybe you just date a new girl every year and a half for the rest of your life. Nothing wrong with that, I guess. I don't know. I'm sure people are getting hurt, but whatever. Like, that's a choice. It's just not the choice I'm looking for right now that I've done some work in that area. I, I just think it's really, it's fascinating how we can be, I definitely was blind to this concept for so long. I was just dating the same girl with different color hair and different color eyes, <laughs> but the same person that kept bringing me a fix over and over again and just thinking the answer was the next one. The answer will be the next one. The answer will be the next one. No, the answer's inside, right? And so I just think that's interesting. We look at relationships as a solution or a compliment to us or somebody to make us whole and if I go into a relationship as a half, I ain't getting whole, right? I'm, I'm still going to be a half. <laughs> and so I, it's just really, I don't know. I think we're, we might be getting a little off in left field about what, uh, you know, the whole message of this. So, like, maybe does it make more sense to be with someone in recovery or out? I, and, and, of course, obviously, spoiler alert, the answer is going to be there's no fucking real clear right. answer with that. Well, and one other thing, and I don't know how this exactly ties in, but it keeps coming off my head, so I'm just going to say it. The other thing with any, like, relationships is 
It's almost like parenting. Like, I mimic what I saw in my upbringing mm-hmm. growing up. Whether I thought it was good or bad doesn't matter. That's right. just what I think a marriage and a relationship is supposed to look like. Like, that's what I saw. That's what I witnessed. So that's what I sort of think it's supposed to be. Um, in my case, I was incredibly lucky. I had people that stayed married up until my mom passed. You know, they were married 47 years. As far as I know, there was no infidelity, abuse, you know, definitely nothing we ever saw outwardly. I mean, my parents had issues, you know, they had fought a couple times. I know at one point they had talked about possibly separating and divorce. I don't know really what the issues were at the time. I was 11, 12 years old, but they worked through it. They stayed together. Um, They were good people. They treated each other well, you know. So I luckily had some examples of what a good relationship was when I got clean, so I think even when I was using, I knew what a what it, I thought it was supposed to be. <laughs> so so when I didn't see that, I was like, oh, this is bad. You know, this isn't fucking right. Like, this isn't the way this is supposed to be. Um, and so I think that helped me, it, you know, in my relationship now. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I do think we do a lot of unconscious things. I was trying to apply that to my life. Like, my parents stayed together, and I don't think there was infidelity, but... That apparently is my entire fucking life was about being, in, <laughs> huh. in, you know, cheating on my my girlfriends and stuff. And so I don't know if maybe just it wasn't so much that I was mimicking what I saw in their relationship. I was just mimicking whatever covered up the fucking trauma. Like my father used food, obviously, right? I used sex and, and acceptance from women and validation and, you know, the million jokes we can have about females, uh and fill in the void and, you know, fill in the holes they feel inside and all that good stuff. Uh, but we, we do that. We use those things. Um, but, yeah, so I personally have found being in a relationship with someone in recovery incredibly beneficial. Um, as I said, one, just to, not, to keep me from not straying too far. But another great benefit has been um, my wife and I share a lot of recovery ideas and conversations. Mm-hmm. And you hear people, like I've heard people over the years talk about, you know, we're in this relationship and we don't get in each other's recovery. I, I don't even understand what that means. Right. You know, to me, my recovery is such an intimate part of who I am, the way that I live. It's pretty much my whole value structure at this point in my life has come from what I've learned through the process of the steps in recovery. I don't know how I couldn't talk about those things hmm. with my wife, you know, and her with me. And, and she's got more time with me, and she's been through the steps a couple of more times than me and sponsored a lot more people than I have. Um, so she has a very different uh, take and understanding on the steps. Um, I, I hesitate to say that it's better because, of course, <laughs> I think that I'm smarter and my understanding is better, but it's definitely different, and she's definitely got a much broader view and a much uh, broader perspective on some of these ideas and applications mm-hmm. of principles than I do. And we'll share about that stuff a lot. Like that's an important part of our relationship is talking about our recovery, our values. Um, we will, we will share things, you know, about, uh, friends and, and people in recovery to, on how to help them or how to help, you know, each, each other sponsor people, you know, things like that, that, it's just invaluable information. It's interesting because if you said, if you said to me, "Hey, there's this person that has more time than you and has worked the steps 
three times as many times as you, do you think they have more or wider recovery or whatever you would like to call it? I would say, fuck no, more than me. (laughs) (laughs) And yet I know every time I've worked the steps, I've looked back at previous me and thought, damn, I've really grown a lot since that last time I worked the steps. (laughs) Like I'm getting a better understanding this time through. It's another layer we peel back, right? So it's interesting that I, I don't give people credit for that. Um, I can see where that, so one of the things that it always strikes me as interesting and, and has stood out to me um, and has been a complaint of mine and, oh, fuck, I hope my wife really doesn't listen to these anymore since she's not driving to work because uh, I'm about to get in big trouble probably for <laughs> criticizing our relationship. But So I've, I've sponsored guys that came into recovery and they had a girlfriend that they met in active using, right? And look, I get everybody's active using looks different. Mine, you know, theirs might not have been like sleeping on a park bench with, you know, socks that would stand up by themselves because you've had them on for a straight month or teeth you haven't brushed in three months. Like maybe theirs didn't look like that, but I, that's what I picture when they, I'm like active addiction. But these partners that these guys had put up with whatever it was they were doing in active addiction, which I know had to be unattractive and awful and, and pretty blah. like it's not the traits you want in a partner an actively actively using person is not the partner you want in your life right so for people to gather this partner into their life while they're at their worst i'm like there's something fucking wrong with these people there's something wrong with you if you date somebody in active using i'm sorry i don't give a fuck what you say there's something wrong with you you got some issues right you need some therapy probably and maybe your own program but i'm picturing that and i say Okay, even if they accept you right now, right, you're going to work steps. You're going to work a step four, a five, a six, a seven, an eight, nine. You're going to change and become a better person, right? The old saying, birds of a feather flock together, water seeks its own level. Look, if we were talking about a, a recovery running buddy, right, somebody that goes to meetings with you with three months clean, you guys both have around the same time, you hit meetings, Generally, what happens is you grow apart at some point. Like Either they keep working steps and you don't, or you keep working steps and they don't, and you just end up with different levels of recovery or interests or spirituality or whatever. This applies to relationships too, I think. And so once you've worked a a set of 12 steps and you have this partner that you met while you were actively using, my question (laughs) is, what the fuck do they have to offer you anymore because they've stayed in the same spot? This is speculation, right? Because I don't give people outside of recovery room to grow very frequently, which is the the beef that my <laughs> wife has with this statement. Um, but so I look at that and I express it in my own life. And I say, damn, here I am many years later after meeting my wife, right? Many steps and times through the steps later after meeting my wife, I have grown exponentially. Completely different fucking person than if you met me when I met my wife. Has she... And that's the question mark I have, right? And I'm not trying to belittle her or put her down. I, I, I love her. But I say, did I meet her and I've grown and she has not grown as much because she doesn't have the 12 steps. That doesn't mean she hasn't grown at all. She's done some things. She's sought some therapy, this kind of stuff and the other. I'm putting her business all out there. Fuck it. Um, but that, I, I think that's a drawback, personally. I look at it as a drawback of not being with somebody in recovery. Look, I get it. Somebody in recovery can use. 
you can get 20 years together with your partner and have kids and then they can just mm. fucking disappear and, and not be around anymore forever. But I dislike the fact that I don't have that to share with my partner, that growth that, yeah, her recovery should be her responsibility, but I would like to have it to talk about. I would like to grow together or feel like we're growing in our programs together. What do you What do you got for that? So, well, immediately I thought, I'll take your wife's defense and say, you awesome. know, Thank healthy you. people, I, I think, normal people are still growing and changing. I mean, I think my understanding of life, even outside of recovery, like I've gained life experience and knowledge just in the 20-something years I've been an adult, you know, right. <laughs> like, and that life experience, you know, means something. Um, and hopefully I'm, I'm reflective enough on myself and... And almost back to the uh, the conversation we had about the triangle of self-obsession. So as an addict, I come in lacking skills that most normal people or earth people would already have in their life. I need the step work to try to get me back to the average level. Like the step work doesn't necessarily put me above regular people. It's to bring me back to level with regular people. Now I can continue to grow and change and continue to get better, but I'm starting at a lower spot than they were to begin with. You know, my addiction puts me on a sub equal level. At least that's what I understand. So I think, normal healthy people are going to grow and change and become different throughout their life also i think where that and and even me and my wife have both been in recovery this whole time and both work steps and we haven't grown at the same rate and even if it's been at the same rate the result hasn't been the same so even if we worked an equal amount of steps over the equal amount of time and everything being the same we would probably still be in two completely different places because of our belief and value system. Um, the difference, I think, is, and this goes back to make my earlier point, what makes the relationship, I think, strong or helps to keep it strong is the communication. Like, we'll talk about those things. We can talk about the ways that we view some of these things differently. My wife and I don't share the same values on sponsorship. You know, we have very different values on sponsorship you know she'll fire sponsees i won't fire sponsees just not something i do i mean i probably once or twice in recovery i have but you know and maybe we'll get into that when we talk about sponsorship but i'm just saying that's one area where we don't necessarily agree on that and i don't think that she's wrong or that i'm wrong i think that we just have different values when it comes to that stuff we very frequently have different uh values when it comes to advocating in our communities for different stuff, standing up for different beliefs, going out, you know, publicly speaking out, you know, against uh, different social issues, you know, and, and her opinion on those things and my opinion on those things is very different. Where I think what makes it healthy is that, one, we can talk to each other about it. I try very hard not to criticize or belittle or diminish her beliefs or make her feel like she's wrong even though that's my nature that's what i want to do because i'm a debater and i'm an arguer of things and i want to make myself be right all the time mm. um that's an area where especially with her i have to try to not push because i can push her buttons really easy and try to make her feel wrong and belittle her beliefs 
Um, but what keeps our relationship strong, I think, is trying to honor and value her beliefs even when they're different than mine. So you made uh, definitely a couple of good points in there. I, I do think the ultimate counter to that people will be, if, if you're outside of a recovery program, right, and I argue and say, well, if I meet you when I've only worked, uh, when I haven't worked any steps, then I'm going to grow past you when I've worked around the steps, right? Well, what about if I meet you after one round of steps? Am I going to grow past you after I've worked the second round? So the ultimate counter is, well, when the fuck can you meet somebody? Because you're always going to keep growing, <laughs> right? right? Uh, so if you're yeah, lucky. I mean. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And so I think, yeah, you make a valid point. Like, uh, I like the humbling aspect of it, too, honestly. It was humbling for you to say that we start out less than, right? I, I want to argue back and say, while that may be true, our partner accepts us when we meet them. And so we must be like, I truly believe in the water seeks its own level. Like if we were so unhealthy that all the red flags were out there, I just assume healthy people wouldn't go for that. Right. They would say, ah, you're way below. Well, my one quick counter to that would be my understanding of the infatuation phase. So that infatuation phase, especially early on, helps us again. And the way they described it was something like this, and this could very easily apply to addicts. So let's say you're in your early 20s and you're a female and you meet a guy that's in his early 20s and he's living in his parents' basement. And, you know, all of a sudden... You know, it's great because he's got all this free time to dedicate to you and he can give you all this attention and all this stuff. And you're ignoring the fact that he's 20-something years old, living in his parents' basement, doesn't have a regular job and has no ambitions mm -hmm. to move above that. You'll ignore, you know, it's great in that moment because all his ambition is focused towards you. Right. But after a year or two and you're like, all right, now we, we want to have kids, we want to get a house, we want to get all this stuff, well... His, he didn't just grow ambition out of the side of his head, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. He never had that ambition to begin with. You had it. He didn't, you know. That's the, the he's living in your car. I mean, living in your apartment, driving your car, <laughs> right. going out and dating right. other women that he now has time to see other women because you have to work and right. he's at home in your apartment all day. Right. So in fairness to the, you know, you, and again, People's background, I think, plays some into that. They could be codependent. They could have grown up in relationships with parents that are addicts or alcoholics. I know that seems to be a big thing that, you know, if you grow up with an addict or an alcoholic parent, it somehow makes you way more tolerable of a lot of those behaviors mm -hmm. in a spouse, even if you're not an addict yourself. So I think some background issues have something to do well, with that Well, they're comfortable. They feel like home. Right. You know, they feel like what you're used to. It doesn't seem so foreign, right. Yeah. And and so, I mean, it, it all makes sense, but it was very humbling for me, and I appreciated it for you to remind me that we start out below. And so all the work, all the extra work I'm doing isn't making me, like, way better than everybody. It's just getting me to fucking even. And and it's still not always even getting me to even. So that's a good point. Um, another point Caroline had mentioned that I wanted to address a little bit is the idea and and so she's coming more from a dating standpoint and i do think we need to do another episode that definitely includes some input on that because i don't feel like we've exactly had that experience but the idea of your partner being able to drink socially right mm -hmm. like if you're a person who doesn't drink how healthy is that does that work for you and I guess that's not something you've really had to experience. Um, no. And I would say, so my wife has had that experience. 
But I don't think I'd want to do a podcast with her and talk about her past relationships the whole time. <laughs> She'd have to do it without me sitting here because that would just be too. I, I I don't know. Maybe it would be good for us, but it would be very uncomfortable and awkward for me to sit here and hear her talk about all her past relationships. Right, and then compare them to you. Like, well, yeah, right, he drank, but he did this better than Billy. Right, right? that would that would suck yeah. ass. I don't uh, even know if she would do it, but <laughs> well, I'm just I'm thinking about my wife. So when we met, um, and, and I mean, she still occasionally has a drink. Like there is almost always just because of gifts that are given to her. At some point, there's almost always been alcohol in our house the entire time we've been together. Hmm. Um, honestly, never really thought about it. I, I just don't think about it, and I don't know that that speaks any volumes about my program. I just. I've kind of ignored it. I and don't it's know. Funny, it's so it's like the opposite of me. Like, there's never been alcohol in my house. And there was one time, like, my brother-in-law came over and he brought a couple beers. And we didn't carry acid, you know, it was fine, whatever. But then he left them in the fridge after he left. So for like three or four days, there was like a six pack of beer in the fridge, and I didn't even know. Like, I'm like, the fuck, do I do with that? I think I ended up throwing it out because I'm like, I don't want this in my house. Like, right? You know, we just never have alcohol in our house. So anyway. Well, no, I think this comes back a lot to, you know, the point that Stephanie was making on, on Instagram, like, with the message. Like, some people are going to be okay with that, and some aren't. And I think even some people at different times or points in their life, I, I could get to some low points where maybe it's not safe for that to be in my house with me, right? I, I haven't, and I hope I don't, but I guess that's possible. I know I can look back to our behavior early on. Uh, when I met my wife, we would go out and hang out with coworkers at times at bars. They would all drink. I did not. I can look at that now and say that was probably not the greatest idea for me. Um, most of the time it didn't bother me, but there was that one night mm-hmm. where I said I was in a bad mood. Things were rough, and I was like, maybe I should, right? And I didn't, but I know that I recognized, like, man, it wouldn't take much for me to have made the other decision there. And so... I don't know. Uh, Earlier on, I was probably less in the place of making good decisions about it. Now it just doesn't seem to really be something I think of. I think it helps that it's not a behavior my wife does frequently. It's not like she has a glass of wine every night at dinner. This is like once every three months she'll have a glass of wine (laughs) and take a bath. Like It's kind of that kind of thing. Or, Or if we do go out with some of her friends, she might have, you know, something to drink. But it's not any kind of regular thing so i don't so now i want to ask a funny question and if you have to plead the fifth here you can because it might get you in a bad spot but had she ever went out and like got all totally like shit face drunk and come home like ridiculous and obnoxious Uh, and what's that been like we we have gone out and she has done that uh almost it might even been my fault i might have been encouraging that honestly Mm. um you know, loosen her up a little bit. We'll get a little fun tonight, right? <laughs> a little wild, and it didn't work out that way. It went well past where it needed to yeah. be, and it was really, really ugly for me to watch. Uh, and, I've, and- I've found I'm very intolerant of drunk people. It just It's so off-putting and so annoying. Yes, yes, it <laughs> is, but we were even past that point to where it was just like, Fuck, should I take her to the emergency room? Oh, yeah. <laughs> was, yeah. Oh, wow. It was rough, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I do take responsibility for it. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think I was actually encouraging it. Um, but, it, it, yeah, so that, that's that been no fun. I don't like that at yeah, all, right? I would but imagine. I don't, I don't mind it 
so much when it's like one or two drinks. Uh, it's, yeah, that seems much more difference, powerful. Really. And, and it's so infrequent that it's really not something I think about. And so I think that would matter. I don't think there's a a one-size-fits-all for any of this. I guess that's we should just call it our fucking podcast, One Size Doesn't Fit All or something. <laughs> but, like, it depends on how often. Is drinking a big part of their life? Like, is are they a person, a partner, who's going to come home from work every day and have a little bit of, of alcohol? I don't know that that makes you an alcoholic, but it definitely probably makes you to have more interest in alcohol than I would like to have in alcohol, for sure. Right. Like, and, and, yeah, like you say, I think it does make a difference because I have a family member who uh, I would say, I mean, it's again, I can't necessarily say they're an alcoholic, but they definitely drink. Every day, there's always beer, you know, beer or two here, sometimes a little more, sometimes mixed drinks, but alcohol seems to be a major part of their life, but they are high-functioning, have good job, aren't getting, de- you know, not the stuff that I was doing, they're not, you know, DUIs and all very successful career-wise, you know, responsible in their marriage, so it's hard for me to say whether I think that's an alcoholic or not, but that's definitely way more alcohol than I like to be around, and in fact, when we have to do things at their house or be around those people, I I always limit and give myself, like, I'm going to say an out, um, just because it's not comfortable for me. But other times, like, my family's always been people that they're drinking, you know, they'll get together and have part, and, and for most of my relatives that don't drink a lot, I can be around them with a couple of beers, and that doesn't really bother me so much. So, if you're talking uh, marriage, building a family, talking about procreating, you know, the next generation, is that something you need to consider when you're finding a partner for mm. for that? Like, do I want my children seeing alcohol use, even if it's not that frequent? Like, do I want them? I personally would honestly rather my kids see me of the opinion that alcohol is fucking poison, no matter what small amounts you take it in and you probably just should never right all these studies like oh a little bit of alcohol is healthy for you that's all paid for by the alcohol industry (laughs) uh not really a real thing so it's like now i know that the mother is showing them something different than that i don't really completely like that i wish they just thought of it as society gives them that too it's not just their mother i mean it's like a rite of passage to drink when you're 21 and all like all this bullshit stuff but I, I don't know does that and, affect your marriage um i mean obviously it doesn't affect my right, marriage because right. i'm not around anybody drinking but um it's weird like i notice with our kids like our kids all seem like they're and i don't know if this is healthy or not like i've actually thought huh that might be unhealthy like they're pretty scared of alcohol they pretty they don't you know, because I've always told them, like, look, I, you know, you may be able to drink healthy. There are people that do it, and it's okay. Um, we don't, you know, it's dangerous. I mean, we've had honest conversations with them about addiction and what it kind of looks like and the warning signs of, you know, hey, because my kids now are teenagers. One's 18, one's, you know, 15, going to be 16 soon. You know, that's the age that you start getting into those kind of things, and you go to right. a friend's house for a party, and they got some booze there and that sort of stuff. And so we have tried to be pretty open with our kids about what addiction is and what it looks like, but also tell them, like, you know, look, there are people that use healthy. You know, they see family members. They see, like, you know, my parents, for example. My dad, he drinks, but he's a healthy person. He doesn't drink all the time, you know, but occasionally has a couple beers. One night they saw him fall down drunk, which was kind of funny. They were a little embarrassed for him. 
Um, it was right after my mom passed, and it's, you know, whatever. But he came home, like, fall down, literally fall down drunk. And the kids were like, oh, my God, we can't believe it. <laughs> like, that's what that looks like. It was so freaking weird, you know, right. to see, like, this person that we know so fucked up, you know, on alcohol like that. So, you know, that was an interesting experience for them. Because they had never, they've never seen us drink or under the influence of anything. Mm. Um but I thought about that also with, like, uh, prescription medications. Like, we don't keep prescription medications around our house either. Not for very long. If we ever have to take them, we take them and get rid of them pretty quick. I don't like to have them around the house. Hmm. And that's more for me than for anything else. Like, right. I, I don't like to be around opioids at all. You know, that's my, you know, if you want to say drug of choice, that's my drug of choice. So, I don't keep that shit around the house. There's people who do. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that baffles me. I'm yeah. like, really? I wouldn't either. Interesting. Uh, some other aspects of this I wanted to talk about. I, I feel like there's going to be ways that being married to someone in recovery versus being married to someone not in recovery are different that we just don't even fucking realize and yeah. they don't pop up, right? But ways we might try to think about, like going to meetings. Uh, one of the things I've seen over the years with different couples is uh, even people who are both in recovery – I feel like because they want to keep keep their recovery separate, I'm doing the air quotes again, mm-hmm. um, they pick different nights to go to meetings, and especially once you have kids. Like, yeah. oh, one needs to stay home with the kids, so your home group's on a Monday, my home group's on a Thursday. Uh, it's kind of hard to justify getting a second night of meetings in for each person, right? Because then that's four nights of your life yeah, right, right there. There's only seven each week. And so I've seen that be kind of a place of contention. You would think... Two people in recovery, oh, go to the same fucking meeting, perfect, right? But once you have kids, that doesn't always work out quite that way, especially if you don't really want to introduce your children to the fellowship, which not everybody does. Um, but I would say from my standpoint, like, I have at times felt, I don't even know what exactly I feel, but I, I don't want to always run to a meeting because it's not what my wife does either, right? Like, I don't want to have to run out. I feel like even though I feel like I need to and it's not up for debate. And she's never, ever, let me specify, she has never, ever made me feel bad about going to a meeting. But I feel bad inside. I'm like, oh, I'm not carrying my end of it. I should be home more or whatever. So how does that, what do you think about that difference between? Um, I don't know if there's a difference um, with my wife and I, let's see, early in recovery, again, before we had kids, we would go to meetings together, and in fact, we had the same home group for a while together, and that was convenient and great, and then things change over time, like, say, whether it was we both needed our own space, or whether it was the kids, I can't exactly remember, but at some point, we got different home groups. Now, I think it's really important that we have different home groups, um, I tell her she's always welcome to come to my home group, but she doesn't. You know, and her, she had a women's home group for a while, so I definitely wasn't going there. It's funny, because Billy always told me he couldn't share about his wife at his home group, because it's such a small area, and it would yeah. feel weird. And then he comes on a podcast and puts it out, so everybody can hear it. <laughs> Just hilarious. Um, what's that? Put what out? You'll talk about her on here, but I'm like, you won't talk about her in your home group, but then you'll come talk about her where she can listen oh, to yeah. it herself. Well, I feel like this is more <laughs> anonymous, almost. Like, less yeah. people know her personally that listen to this, I think maybe. maybe, yeah, maybe it's, that's easy to say, but, um, you know, yeah, I think it's important that, and maybe that's a part of it, which I didn't even think about. Like so many people know my wife, I can't really go to meetings and share about her anyway. So whether she's sitting there or not, 
you know, I have friends privately that I'll talk to about my relationship or things that I'll share, you know, one-on-one that I wouldn't say in a meeting um, right. because we're in such a small area. But there's definitely been times where I have gotten very jealous of N.A. or the demands that they put mostly on her um, because at times she's been quite active in recovery where she had like an H&I commitment and then she sponsors a bunch of people and then she get asked to speak at a meeting and, you know, so easily in a week she can have four or five, you know, N.A. related commitments mm-hmm. You know, and I get angry or jealous about those things sometimes because we did have small kids and I couldn't always go. And I'd be like, look, you got to learn some fucking limitations with this shit. You know, I'm not telling you which ones you got to pick and which ones you can't. But if it's a week, you got your home group and your H&I commitment. Well, you can't be scheduling speaking engagements and sponsorship things then, too. You know, you got to take that stuff into consideration about how many nights a week you're going to be gone because... I'm, you know, I'm in a relationship. I don't want to come home to a house by myself every night after work. Like, that's bullshit. I don't want that. It's not what I want. Um, now, with her, I would say, and I guess it's fair to say she would agree with this, she's not the greatest scheduler. So most of her scheduling shit like that is totally just fluke-wise. Like, someone just asks her to speak, and she just goes, okay, you know, what day is that again? Like, she right. doesn't even really keep track it's more of a she just commits to doing it and then realizes oh shit this is the same week as you know this other commitment that i had or the same week so and so asked me to speak here and they asked me to speak here in the same week um and i don't know that that makes it better but it's still like there have been times where i've been angry and jealous of the demands that recovery has put on either her or myself in our relationship something you just made me think of is that like we're as adults uh with kids and, and all these responsibilities, we're forced into these, you almost have to meet your friends wherever it is you are, right? And so that's given me the ability as a member of some of a recovery program that I can meet people who are living other recovery-oriented lives and, you know, trying to do some spiritual principles and trying to work towards, like, spiritual growth and better understanding of myself. Like, that's the people who are around me. And, you know, my wife's a teacher. And so, not that they're bad people, but the people she's around are people she works with. That's the only place she really goes, right? She doesn't have a recovery program. And so, she might meet people whose great idea of, you know, fun and unwinding for the week is happy hour on Friday. And, like, is that bad? No. But would it be cooler if she was meeting people who were, like, all about, hey, let's do yoga and, and meditate, like, That'd be fucking... I'd like that more, right? Yeah. I feel like it would set her on a better path, maybe. Well, funny enough, and, and we like to do camping. We like the outdoors and camping a lot. And I can tell you, a large percentage of the camping world people... And I don't talk about, like, backpackers that go out and, like, rough it off the grid kind of camping. I'm talking about people that go to, like, campgrounds and big, you know, the closest campground park. Like... Their whole thing is going there to get drunk all weekend. Like, that's a major part of it. They think if you can't drink, you're not camping. You know? Right, right. <laughs> but we like that lifestyle and what goes along with it, you know, other than the drinking part. It was funny just to see, like, wow, like, these people that are into camping think that drinking is just like a fucking campfire. Like, it just goes hand in hand. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about that, actually. Yeah, I've heard so, of that concept. So, yeah, if you're not in recovery, it's easy to, to get involved with a group of people that all of a sudden alcohol or, you know, recreational use is a part of that community. So right. you just think that's what you do. 
So uh, along with the meeting type idea, uh, what I've run into on vacations, right? Early on in my marriage, I wanted to go to conventions and I wanted to bring my wife, right? Like, hey, and, and she did. She went to a convention or two with me, but I didn't enjoy it, honestly, because I just felt guilty while we were sitting in the meeting. And it had nothing to do with her. She was fine. She was like, you know what? I'll just sit in a meeting with you. It's not a big deal. Like, we're, we'll enjoy some time on a vacation. You can enjoy some time in the meetings, whatever. I just felt guilty. I'm like, she doesn't want to hear this fucking battle about, <laughs> right. you know, drug use right. and all these things I'm laughing about. And, and so it, it didn't work out well for me. And I also know that we've gone on vacations to different areas. And I've said, I'm definitely hitting a fucking meeting when we go here, right? We went to Hawaii. And I was like, bro. Gotta hit a meeting in Hawaii. It sounds fucking epic, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't. And the reason I didn't was because my partner's not in recovery, and I just felt weird pulling myself away from the family mm-hmm. to go to a meeting, right? Whereas if my partner was in recovery, that would have been something we both could have been excited about and both gone and done. We could schedule vacations around conventions, if that's what we wanted to do, but we could at least also hit these interesting meetings in new areas together and we would have been excited about it together. And I feel like I miss out on that from not having a partner in recovery. Yeah. Well, Jen and I had a fight over that actually one time in Vegas. Actually, we were in Vegas. Oh, and it stays in Vegas, Billy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we're, not, we're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> um, but like saying, we were kind of on vacation with, we had actually went with some friends. A friend of ours was getting married out there and we went and uh she was like hey let's you know we should go to a meeting like nobody wants to go to a meeting we're in vegas we're on vacation like who wants to go to meetings and that actually you know that was a big it upset her like and it wasn't that it upset her because we didn't go to a meeting it was like that i was so just dismissive and just blew that off as like some kind of dumb idea like what are you talking about like we're on vacation we're not at home like we don't have to go to meetings now and and it was very dismissive of her opinion or her feeling at that time. And she probably felt like you did. Like, hey, we're in a new place. We can hit a new meeting. It would be interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's happened with my wife. And she's not even in, you know, she's in recovery. And we've still had that. I've made it a point. An issue. <laughs> right, I've made it a point since I missed the Hawaii one that I, Florida, Wisconsin, uh, New Jersey, like any of these places I go, I definitely take a night and go to a meeting. And even mm-hmm. when I, even when the time comes and everything says, ah, it's fucking easier not to. I just, I got to now. I don't want to yeah. feel that way again. And I, as a part of a men's, you know, I try to be way more uh, accommodating for that stuff, either with her, going with her, or making it a point to let her know, like, hey, if you want to hit a meeting, that's cool. You know, and and leave that door open for her. Like, right. and that's the thing with a lot of these uh, issues. Like, it's not that there's a right or wrong solution. You know, in our case, like in in this case, like I just like that's who she is. That's what she does, and she would want to get. You know, for me, vacation is I want to go somewhere and sit around and hopefully do a whole lot of nothing. And like, say I like camping, so if I'm lucky, I want to have a campfire and sit outside around a campfire every night. Maybe look at the stars. Maybe have some good conversation or listen to music you know that's vacation i don't want to be running around doing a bunch of shit all busy i do that the regular time of my life my vacation's different but it's important to her so as a partner what i should try to do is encourage and and build up her like hey if that's what you want to do that's awesome i don't necessarily want to go you know what i mean and i don't have to i can say hey i don't really want to go but if you want to hit a meeting that's cool 
you know, I'm, I'll support. I'll take care. I've got the kids. I'll take care of dinner. You go out, do what you want to do. You know, it's it's being accommodating to the person that you're with, I think, is what's most important. So one of the things that I've been jealous of in my marriage uh, with someone outside of recovery is that I see couples who are able to, and and I guess like I could probably do these things anyway. It just feels weird to me. But like NA uh, as a fellowship has a lot of events, right? We have picnics, cookouts, fish fries, whatever the hell, softball events. And it just seems like... I've seen couples who, you know, maybe their kids aren't, uh, you, for example, I think you and your wife go to events together, yeah. and it's like, I know your kids aren't young anymore, but even couples who them. have yeah, young kids, yeah, you can take them stuff, to those yeah. kind of things. That's not a meeting, hopefully. Um, and so I, I'm a little, I've always been jealous. I'm like, I don't have that. I can't bring her into my life and share that as much. I could, but it just doesn't seem to have the same effect. And, and I guess with the ultimate thing behind that is that's a specific example but the general idea is when recovery is such a big portion of my life right maybe maybe na is not maybe these steps themselves are not but recovery and being a better human is such a huge portion of my fucking life and my purpose in life it's hard to have a partner at times that i feel like isn't doesn't give that the same priority or, or not, maybe it's not that it's not a priority to them. It's just not in the forefront of their mind on a regular basis. On a daily basis, I got to think, what strategy am I going to take today to not be a fucking asshole, basically? <laughs> and I don't think she has to think that kind of stuff. She can just wake up and, like, try to enjoy the day with the kids or something. And so it's just hard for me. I've always been jealous that I, I wish I could, like, share more of that journey with her instead of just sharing my journey with her. I want to share our journey in the recovery process. And so I'm not saying there's one way better than the other, but that is something I almost feel like I missed out on or, or I don't get to do as much and, or I don't know how to replicate maybe is what I'm looking for. Well, and that's why I think we've taken our kids to events or even had NA kind of, I'll say quote unquote, I'll say recovery uh, events at our house and stuff is because that is the opportunity to open that door to that part of our lives, to our family, and to open our family to that part of our life. You know what I mean? Like, my friends in recovery, the guys in my home group, like, they've all seen, you know, kind of watch my kids grow up. Um, and I've had other people that I've known for years and years in recovery, and I don't, I don't really know their kids or their families that much because they don't include them in those things. And uh, I don't know. For me personally, I think it's a missed opportunity. I would say that's the exact, the events and the uh, get-togethers and the picnics and all that stuff. Like that's the stuff, like that. the purpose of them is to bring your families and to let people know who you are and to have fun and all that. Like meetings aren't the place where they should be with right. you. Maybe conventions aren't even the place that they should be with you. But, you know, those are the places where we can open those doors. Yeah, but I almost, it's almost... Uh... Like, I could go to Australia and walk into a fucking NA meeting or, or any recovery meeting, really, uh, and I'm instantly comfortable. I already know I got shit in common with these people. We're going to have something to talk about besides the weather. Like, we got some commonalities, right? And they feel like family, almost, even though I've never met these people in my life. And I think that when I take my wife places, I don't get that sentiment out of her. She's like... 
I don't, I don't think she has that uh, innate, you know, oh, hey, we already got a whole lot in common. I can just easily, you know, without effort, talk to you. There's more anxiety and there's more uh, maybe, you know, separation between that. And so uh, we talk about, you know, couples have couple friends. Well, maybe they go out to dinner together. Maybe they go on vacation together. Like uh, my wife's parents have couple friends that they used to work with or, or that they did this with and they'll go out to dinner sometimes. My wife and I don't really have couples friends. She has her friends that we've hung out with as couples a couple times, but they are people who drink and I, I love them. They're really nice people, but I don't have a lot in common with them usually. Um, and I just wish, like, I feel like if she was in recovery, you know, I look at you and, and your wife and I say, damn, we could have recovery couples friends and that would be pretty goddamn cool because then we all know each other already and it's comfortable. Like if I hmm. hung out with, if I took her to hang out with couples in recovery, she's not going to know the people. She's going to be awkward and, and weird and. For a minute. I mean, I, and I say that because I know a couple that the guy is very involved in recovery and the woman is, I mean, I, I'll say she's not, she's not an addict. But she is very involved in recovery. She's like a, you know, recovery mom or whatever you want to call it. Like, she's not an addict. She doesn't work steps or have a sponsor or never suffered with addiction. But everyone knows her when she goes to meetings. She goes to his home group with him. You know, she goes to all the events and picnics. And everybody knows who she is. And most people are surprised to find out that she's not an addict, you know. Right. And it's just that's the relationship because that's what they've built. And she has friendships and things that are built around recovery people even though she's not specifically an addict um but what i was thinking was you know flip-flop that the other way like wouldn't you still feel like if and maybe not maybe i'm misreading this <laughs> so if your wife said oh one of my co-workers is having some picnic at their house and they want to invite us and the kids i mean wouldn't you feel like you should go with her to share like in that experience because that's a part of her life and the people that she's with and that's how you build a relationship <laughs> like i do and i fucking hate it like yeah. so we there was a christmas party uh that we got invited to from some of her friends and they're friends that i i truly i like the people we've spent some time with them we went to a concert with them and, and enjoyed it like i really do like the people um but i knew that this christmas party well i didn't know actually i, I kind of thought it was gonna be a little different and i was we ended up having to go late because my daughter had a basketball game, whatever. But I was, like, really committed to going. I'm like, yes, we're going to go. We're going to show up. We like these people. This is important for you. I'm going to be a really good husband. We're going to do this, right? It ended up turning into an argument because I thought we should skip the basketball game and go earlier, like mm -hmm. when the party started. And my wife, whose friends it was, was like, no, we should do the basketball game. That's more important. And I'm like, whatever. So we argued about it. We ended up going to the basketball game. We go late. Was not the good time I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Everybody there, it was like a fuck ton of people, all pretty much plastered. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my fucking God, I am so glad we went to the basketball game <laughs> yeah. and came later. Right. It, that's, I just, I don't get much out of that. People get a little too far over the line and I don't, that's what her friends do for joy. And I'm not knocking it. I like the couple who invited us. I like them. One, it's us four, or maybe one more couple. But isn't that the point of relationships is sharing and growing and having this experience with these other people? Like, everything I do with my wife isn't all about me and what I like. And I'll do things with her that I don't necessarily 
like or I'm not into. You know, for a long time, she was into art and tattoos and all that stuff, and we would go to tattoo conventions. And I am not a tattooed person. I don't fit that. I have one that she did. Um, I'm not a tattooed person. I don't fit that whole image, look, lifestyle. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that's just not my scene or my people. But that, to me, like, that is an opportunity to learn or get a little insight into her and what she likes and her world of stuff. So I would go, or I've went, and sort of dealt with the awkwardness, but because it's not always about me. It's not always about what I want. Uh, you know? it's I don't about... even know if she liked it, though. I, memes, did you like that? I have no clue. Like, if you're <laughs> right. listening to this, tell me, did you even enjoy that shit? Well, it didn't and, seem like it. Now, you can't take one bad experience and say, you know, what is that one bad apple spoils a bunch kind of right. thing? Like, you can't say every experience she has with her friends is going to be like that. Maybe they are. Maybe she's got shitty friends. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's easy for me to say. Maybe they're alcoholics. Um, you know, I don't know her friends, but I'm just saying, like, I think that's where my understanding of like intimacy comes from it's trying to get a deeper understanding and a deeper knowledge of this person that i've decided i want to be with and there are aspects of their life that i don't necessarily understand or get it but it's not necessarily about me getting it it's just about me trying to support and encourage and and challenge them that is challenging when you're talking about friends that Drink a lot of alcohol in excess. Well, that's, that's a different really line. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage anyone to be. <laughs> so, and again, my family tends to be people that drink a lot of alcohol at different family events. So, one of the strategies that we came up for that, and this mostly had to do with a lot of amends I was making to my mom at the time, but one of the strategies that we came up with, and we still do, is. We go to family parties fucking early. Like, when they start at 12, we're there at 12, and then we try to leave at, like, 4 or 5. Because once it hits the later time, usually, like, a lot of these family parties will be somebody's graduation from high school, somebody's 50th birthday party, whatever big family thing comes up. Most things in my family are everyone shows up, you know, there might be some cooking on the grill or some food, and everybody eats, and the kids are playing, having a good time. And then usually like six or seven, like everyone's drinking through that time. But then as it gets dark, it seems like, you know, now we're into drink number seven or eight. And the people that are drinking are starting to drink a little more. And the ones that tend to drink a lot and get really drunk are getting to that point. And then it's drinking and carrying on and fucking whatever goes along with that part of it. Our strategy is we go early and we leave early. (laughs) You know, like we don't participate in the drinking, you know, why am I sitting around with a bunch of people that are getting drunk for three hours when they're all happy being drunk, you know, like that isn't a thing that I want to do. So anyway. That's, yeah, no, but that's not what we did. We did the right. opposite. We showed up as everybody was already drunk and right. tried to insert ourselves and then, you know, I don't know. So I, I guess, I don't know. We have to wrap this up. We're yeah. fucking lengthy. <laughs> but so, I mean, is I feel like I've expressed a lot of ways where I have not regret, but where I see things that I'm like, oh, the other side seems like it has some attractive points that I'm not able to have with having a partner not in recovery, right? We, we lose that ability to share that portion. And maybe, maybe I am just caught in a grass is greener on the other side view, right? Like maybe there's these problems on both sides 
And it just seems that way because I, this is the side I'm on. Yeah, and I was just going to say that. So we could do an equally long podcast about the challenges of being in a relationship with somebody that's in recovery. I could throw, you know, now, like say, if we started down the road, well, it would take use. just as long to... That's one, but then there's also the whole self-centered part of it, you know? I mean, I'm not always in the greatest spiritual place. My wife isn't always in the greatest spiritual place, you know what I mean? There's times that she battles with her demons, and it starts to come out in her personality over time, and we gotta be like, are you fucking okay? Like, do we need to fucking check you in somewhere? And I'm sure she feels that way about me, and we have to have... And those are, like, serious conversations. Like, we have to really seriously consider um, how mentally fragile or emotionally fragile either of us are at any given time i mean there are times where i've been to a point in my marriage where i could have one bad decision and wrecked our whole fucking life mm. you know like right. whereas you tend to think with non-addicts there's a little more stability in that kind of stuff um and i don't mean just using you know right. it could be spending all the money it could be i mean i've thought a couple of times like i'm just gonna get my fucking car and drive away from here and i'll fucking i'm not coming back not coming back. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Right. And uh, I'm sure she's felt the same way. And we've luckily not done it, but we've known relationships that haven't made it through that. Off the top of your head, do you know a couple other little like issues from that side of the fence? Or is that just one of the main ones you've been thinking of? But as far as... Other complications of having two, two people in recovery. Oh, and then balancing out the meetings and recovery and who's comes first. Because it's mm-hmm. unfair of me to tell her, like, well, you can't meet with sponsees and have an H&I commitment and have a home group and do all those things. But then I want to have all those things, too. They're healthy for me. And how do I balance out, you know, how much attention goes towards my recovery commitments, my home group, my sponsees. She's got equally all those things. You know, she sponsors a bunch of people. I'm sponsoring five or six people at this point. You know, how do you balance that stuff out? I mean, I I don't think it's fair of me to tell her she can't have those things because I want those things too. Right. Um, I want to be able to say yes whenever anyone asks me to come speak somewhere. You know, it's a yes. That's a yes. You know, and that's a challenge sometimes. It's difficult. So that is, uh, in, in, you know, what we could shove into this amount of time, which we've yeah. gone over. That is, uh, a version of what it's like to be married to someone else in recovery versus a version of what it's like to be married to someone not in recovery. And the realization that there is a fuck ton of challenges to being married. And I'll say one other thing. So good or bad, this is going to come out bad about the fellowship, but there are a lot of, I'll say predatory people in recovery as far as they don't respect the boundaries of marriage or relationships mm-hmm. or anything else. And over the years, that's been an issue where people, you know, people legitimately like calling our house to try to get in relationships with, you know, the spouse. Like that's, that boundary is pretty hairy and, and hey, there's people that don't respect that shit very much. I could see that. And that's probably a society thing like we usually yeah. say. But I could see that really leaving a bad taste about the recovery program in your mouth yeah. when somebody's trying to get with your wife. Well, I think the difference in recovery is that it's a it creates an atmosphere where there's a lot more emotional intimacy and emotional mm-hmm. vulnerable, vulnerability. Right. So it's easy to start into an emotional conversation 
uh, guised as something not I want to get in your pants, but like, hey, I'm having this issue with this step. Maybe we can get together and talk about it. Mm. You know, whereas the guy's really got an ulterior motive, right. but it's little, it's it's hidden. It's a little more subtle. You know, the the sneaky ways to get in there because we do talk about emotional things. We are vulnerable when we come into meetings and share honestly. There's this girl I really like, and I've been wondering. How do I tell her? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see that. I can see that. And then that's a lot of resentments against people that might have been, you know, maybe not even close personal friends, but people you respected in the fellowship. And now you got to have a different, you know, feeling towards them. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of relationships are fucking hard. You know, I'm yeah. sure we've said that before. We'll probably say it 48 more times uh, next week. Um, but definitely, I. I don't know that any one version is right or any one version actually works out to be better. I think they both have challenges. Um, I don't know. I guess I got to think about it a little more. I still, I'm like, man, I wish we could share more, but maybe I'm just not doing what I need to do to share more recovery and growth based things with my wife. Maybe I just need to fucking work harder at doing that and, and include her in more and Maybe it would be more what I want it to be instead of just sitting around saying, oh, I can't have that because that's not, you know, what she does. Um, so that's something this has made me look at. I, I know for Caroline's sake, uh, we probably did not cover <laughs> exactly what she had envisioned. Uh, maybe we can, again, broach this topic. I definitely want to cover. I want to cover what it's like for our wives. Yeah. <laughs> I want to cover what it's like for someone in recovery, what it's like to be married to someone in recovery. Yeah, that'd right? be good. And then someone not in recovery, what it's like to be married to a, a goddamn addict like me. Because uh, mm. I can only, that's going to be an ugly episode. Maybe I shouldn't listen to that yeah. episode. Um, but we will be back next week to talk about step seven. It'll be July. July already. I know. Still fucking stuck in quarantine. <laughs> July. Um, but we'll talk about that. And I can't wait, God, if you are have only understood step seven to mean that God is going to remove your defects, come the fuck back to hear Billy tell us how that works without God. I can't wait. I've been dying. I've been waiting a month for this. Uh, so I'm excited for that, and we will see you next week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor. Email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.